so thankful to be with you for these series of lessons. It is, I guess, a sign of age when you drive down the interstate and almost every exit has a memory. Coming to Columbus has some memories. Uh, As a young man, it was in January of 1977, I came down to work in an arrangement with uh, another older preacher. Aubrey Blue Sr. was still an elder. And I hadn't been here two days before I got snowed in at the couchman's. I stayed in their home. It was only supposed to be two days. I stayed well over a week. And Bo was still in high school. And we went sledding all over Columbus. Now, you can imagine that. That was a long time ago. But that was my first experience there. And as a very green preacher, brethren were very, very patient with me and had a lot of memories. And it's interesting. I guess as you get old, you see other generations and you see... You see efforts to, to grow the gospel in this area, and uh, thankful to be here. One of the things that I've tried to do in my life is to help churches start. I was, uh, uh, the brother I knew years ago started a church in another state. I was so just astounded by that, and it went well. And uh, my wife and I have gone to two places now, Lincoln, Nebraska, in Charlottesville, Virginia, to start a church from scratch. And I've helped other groups that have started. I, I, last year in Virginia, there, there was another group started in the area where I was doing regular Bible classes. And I came up last year and kind of had, had a session, kind of like we're having here, about when you get started, so some things you need to look at foundationally of working together and making decisions. Let me tell you what I'm doing this week. I am not here to make any decisions for you. I'm not here to straighten anything else outside of just planting and watering. I'm hoping that we can give foundations from which we make decisions. And that will be things for you all to do as you work together as a family. Tonight I'm going to talk about attitudes. This lesson I preached only about a month ago when I was in uh, in Auburn, and you can hear that sermon online if you want to go hear it, see if I added new things tonight. But anyway, but but it's called Jew and Gentile. And it's very interesting. I'll never forget some of the congregations I've been at. My first work was in Birmingham in a part-time arrangement when I went to West End, where I grew up. It was 1975. It hadn't been... Decade earlier, there were when I was growing up in that area, there was the civil rights movement. There was great division and turmoil in Birmingham. I ended up coming back to West End, and we had a half black and half white congregation. The the preacher that was working with me was a native Nigerian. He was training me, and I was really happy to go back to my uh, my home. Um. When I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, man, we had a diverse group. Navajo Indian, African American. Of course, I was the Southerner with a Southern accent. And I want to tell you, people looked at you kind of strange. We had a live radio and calling program we did and TV. And I'll never forget, I didn't realize my accent. I don't know if I have an accent. I, you know, people tell me I did. But I was up there, man. I remember going into a store. And I'd be looking around and I would say something. And I'd see people look at me and go, you're not from here, are you? And sometimes they watch the radio program and they go, I know that voice. Now, I'll never forget one time, 
They said, you're not from here. And I, and, I, and, and I said, no, I'm not. He said, where are you from? I said, New York. And they laughed at me. There was another time I asked them, do you know where I'm from? And they go, Alabama. I said, how did you know? And I had an Alabama shirt on. And so, anyway, I didn't help us very much that day as far as the opinions of Southerners. <clears throat> Congregations. When we, well, I say in Lincoln, when you have people from different backgrounds coming together, it's a huge challenge. New churches typically will do that. New churches, you can have people from all kinds of backgrounds in making a local church work, even when you have similar backgrounds, is a huge challenge. And that's all I want to talk to you about tonight. If we had lived in the first century, how can we work together as brethren? I want to talk to you about the power of God. In Isaiah chapter 11, there's an interesting prophecy. It's a prophecy of the church, a prophecy of the power of our Lord. Isaiah 11.3, you're familiar with the first part of this. I'm sure you may be familiar with the entire prophecy. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. This is a prophecy of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ would show the very fullness of God of His power, of His might, of His wisdom, of how He made judgments, how He conducted Himself. The ultimate way of knowing God is seeing Jesus and His counsel. I'm going to talk to you about the power of God in us. As we follow the Lord, look at the potential for us to have the fear of God, the wisdom, the counsel that comes from God. Now look at verse 6. Here, continuing the prophecy, very interesting prophecy. It says, The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little cow shall lead them, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put out put his hand in the viper's den. Let's talk about this. You know a little bit about nature. The wolf and the lamb, the leopard, the leopard and the young goat, the calf and the young lion. If you go out in nature, what do you get when you get that mixture? I'll never forget my daughter Emily. I always like to have fun with my children. And there is a National Geographic special about wolves. And there is this herd of elk, and there's this little baby elk running with his mama. And the wolves start, you know, chasing the pack, and they separated that little baby out. And Emily's about to go crazy. Oh, no, you know. And I looked at it and said, well, look, that, to those wolves, that's just chicken nuggets, you know. <laughs> she didn't like that, you know. She, <laughs> she thought I was being silly. But, you know, that's what happens when you get these opposites together. Is this prophecy about animals? No. It's about us. You know, when the power of the Lord controls our spirit, 
in circumstances and situations where you might be fighting and fussing and hurting, we can work together. And I don't know of any greater example than in the New Testament. As we consider the Jew and Gentile coming together within the church. In verse 9 it says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all the holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We need God's wisdom. We need His might and understanding and counsel. We need the power of God. Do you know how we can show the power of God? Is when our spirits yield to the Lord. Is when the most important thing in our life is the Lord and His way. And we won't be like the world. But I'm going to tell you something. It changed some of the... uh, uh, We are stubborn mules. And for us to learn and change from our background and our culture, it's hard. It's hard. But the Word of God can do that. If we become a Christian and follow the way of the Lord, we can do that. And I believe in our lives and how we deal with the world and how we deal with one another will demonstrate whether or not the Lord is working in us. I would again think about being in the first century. Imagine the commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus is telling a group of Galilean Jews in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Now just stop just for a moment. The Jews going to the Gentiles and having influence at all? I mean, we're going to talk about the difference in those two groups. And here, you know, Israel will be considered a very insignificant nation. And the Jews were despised. And how in the world are they going to reach the Gentiles? How are you going to convert people? Power of God. These men love the Lord. And their identity was the Lord. And not being a Jew or Gentile, they, they became Christians. As Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. They had gone to a community, they had reached the, reached the Jews, and then the Jews would get angry and cast them out, and they would go reach the Gentiles. It's amazing that within a generation, they turned the world upside down. And you've got Jews and Gentiles together in city after city after city. It's remarkable. Acts 17.6, he says, Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That was amazing to see those converted. Now let me tell you the bigger challenge. The bigger challenge is that now you're together in a local group and working together. I've, I, I, I've tried. I, I want to reach everyone. I spent a lot of time looking back in the past and thinking of past groups that I've been a part of and people who've made it and people who didn't make it. Do you know what one of the characteristics is of whether or not somebody makes it as a Christian or not? Now, I'm not giving you book, chapter, and verse for this. I'm giving you what some others have observed. There was a brother years ago did a sociological uh, study 
And he says the one key factor of somebody who converted and he makes it and who, who, who does it is that they break three old friendships and establish three new. Let me put it in more simple terms. They just separate from the world and then they make relationships amongst Christians. Let me tell you in Auburn, I, I can tell you, I can pick out people, students that come in, as they come in, who's at risk? Those who come and have parents that are not very involved. And then when somebody comes, they're not making connections and associations within a congregation. It's kind of like that little elk being separated from the flock and the wolves getting them. My brethren, local churches, we have a challenge of coming together, getting to know each other, being patient with each other. Let's talk about some things every Christian has in common. In John chapter 3, we read about Jesus making this statement to Nicodemus. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let's talk about that term, born again. Conversion. What is it? Somebody may say, well, here's what a person outwardly does to be converted, and we can talk about the confession of faith and that they act out of faith. And we can say there is repentance, although you can't always immediately see that, whether or not one is repentant. They confess Jesus. We can see they've been physically baptized. But let, let's talk about truly being converted. When one has repented and one has become a Christian, it's a new birth. The very core of who we are is changed. And it's a great change. And if we don't have people that are born again, first off, they're not Christians. And with that, it's got to take that for us to be able to follow the Lord as He has instructed. But when you are born again, when Jesus is the one whom you identify with, as is stated here in Romans 6.3, do you not know as that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We're raised to walk in newness of life. When Jesus and His way is the most important thing to us on earth, we're going to have a very different attitude toward those who are lost and toward those who are saved. And by the way, brethren, as I preach this, I need to be reminded of it. Because it's very easy for us to drift back into a worldly, self-centered approach. And we need to be sure. We can keep our mind renewed and understand what it means to be a Christian. Now let's talk about, let's say you are a Jew and you are converted. Could you imagine the excitement? I found the Messiah. Could you imagine the humility? I didn't know the Messiah was going to be crucified. Maybe some did. They saw Isaiah 53 and they anticipated that. But actually, most of the Jews, as Jesus said, when he was crucified, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It wasn't until they heard about Jesus and looked at the Scripture and go, Ah! We missed it, but now we find it. It was humbling. It was exciting. Imagine being a Gentile. Here a Gentile who knew almost nothing about God. On Mars Hill. You know, Paul had to say, okay, here's the unknown God. Let's just start there. Here, They knew very little about God. Very little about morality. You look at Romans 1 and the darkness of the Gentile world. It sounds like our culture. 
And they found the Lord. And you see statements directed toward the Gentiles like 1 Peter 2.10 who were, who were not a people but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. It was humbling. It was exciting. It, it gave a person a new life. Ephesians 2.12 that this time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. The Gentile became a Christian. The Jew became a Christian. By the way, brother, it does us good to remember the day we were baptized and to never forget the zeal, the humility, the hunger, the appreciation of, of the Lord's church that will go a long, long, long way for us dealing with some of the hurts and the frustrations that may come as we serve the Lord. And, uh, and so, they became a Christian. The Lord is now the most important thing in your life. Now let's go back and let's talk about this. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up in a neighborhood, raised in a segregated school, a neighborhood. There was a culture, and the culture was not always good. There were things about my culture that were good. There were things that were very bad. I can remember when I became a Christian, it wasn't until I came then to college that here I had my background. And by the way, we all got background. We got all for preferences and things, good and bad. It, it's there. We all come from the backgrounds we come from. But now you're Christian. Not only do you change and you become a Christian, but you know what you keep finding out as you grow in Christ? There are some things you thought you thought, thought were okay, and later you find out it's not. And I still find in my life some thoughts that I thought I had put away coming back in my life. Change. Renewal. The Lord being first. Taking a daily process of identifying with the Lord. Now let me tell you the dangers, you know. Dangers we face. You know, when I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, people kind of laughed at me. For my accent, I could have gotten real frustrated with that. Now, again, for me, you've got to know me, that just makes me a little more determined. You know, if I feel like somebody's looking down at me or think I'm ignorant, that's okay. All right, I'll just go and serve the Lord. But one of the dangers that I could have had is that, okay, South's going to rise again. I'm going to go get my Southern paraphernalia and go and somehow want to say, I'm going to be a Southern, I'm going to defend that, whatever that may mean to somebody. But you know what? I'm a Christian. I, I, you know, my background is what it is. I can't change that. I can't change who I was born to. I can't change my parents. But let me tell you now what I identify with and what matters to me is not my heritage. It is the Lord. Now notice Paul. You're talking about a man who had a background. I think he likely had rose and been on the Sanhedrin. He had things. He was trained by a very famous teacher, Gamaliel. Now listen to what he says about before he became a Christian and after he became a Christian. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. 
circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, and then later in the verse. But the things that were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. In verse 8, Indeed, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ. And so you're not going to find Paul all fired up if somebody makes fun of his heritage or his background. He's not going to be all fired up of whether or not, you know, again, uh, some Jew says, you're not being a very good Jew. You know what he's going to say? Well, yeah, I may not be, but I'm going to be a Christian. And that's a challenge for all of us when Christ in His way is whom we identify with. Then we can work together. But if we don't have that, then I'm afraid the forces of our past and sometimes the worldly forces of our past may push us in the same directions that's not the Lord. Can you imagine the Gentiles that became Christians in Acts 19? We read about the miracles that were done, signs that were done, and people saw that God was in the apostles, in the signs, in the preaching. In verse 17, this became known both the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. In verse 19, and many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. When people become Christians, their past becomes garbage with its past worldly things. Here was that they obviously magic, and that practice was something very common. Later, even the silversmith said, We're about to go out of business making idols because of Christianity. And let me tell you about the culture here. If you went to the civic center in Ephesus, you know what it would have been? It would have been an idolater's temple. And you know what the events in the idolater's temple would involve? Some of it, a major element of it, would be prostitution. And people would identify that culture and be proud of that culture and stand up for that culture. Not Christians. When you became a Christian, it all was in the past, and now you're a baby, and now you learn, and now you're with the people of God. Everything changes, and I want to tell you, yes, it does change, but the past is still there. We still struggle. I still have my dad's voice in my mind. I still have my family voices. I still, at times... That can think thoughts, and I'm thinking, where did that come from? We've got to fight for our mind and our hearts. When you become a Christian, it is so important to understand what we've been given and what the Lord can do with us. One of the points we've got to have is we've got to maintain a broken heart, a tender heart, a teachable heart. Now let's talk about Jew and Gentile. Let's talk about the differences in those two groups. The Jew. Let's say you're a Jew. What would be characteristic of Jews? They would have tremendous exposure to the Word of God. What would the home life be of the Jews? Very steady homes. Tremendous background in terms of generations of men who were dedicated to the home. 
You would have the exposure to the Word of God. I know many were hypocrites. I knew many didn't get it. But still, within the Jewish culture, very solid families, very solid teaching. They certainly would have been exposed to God's holiness throughout their history. In Psalms 25, as an example, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Verse 12. Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he will show them his covenant. The Jews through God's arrangements kept separated from the Gentiles. Because of that separation, there was a moral teaching, a religious teaching. You now realize there were times in their history they completely went off the deep end. There was a time of captivity and other occasions. But still, if you had been a Gentile talking about God, talking about morals, talking about right and wrong, talking about raising your children, talking about discernment, that would be a big issue. They would have stable families and true worships. Now let's talk about, if we could, the Gentiles. Let me give you a few things. Imagine if you were a Gentile and you read the book of Matthew. I want to show you something. In Matthew, Jesus is talking about what was later to be done in the church, about two people that one had a sin, who had a, a believe that another had sin, and talk about the process of you going to them, two or three going to them, and then the church going to them. Now listen to the words of Jesus. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. You may go, whoa, what's that in Scripture? What what he's talking about, the general rule of the culture of the Gentiles was immorality and lack of concern. It didn't mean every individual was that way. But right now, within that world, Romans 1 says the same thing. Within the general Roman world, there was an absolute lack of concern of morals or principles. And those who are Christians should not be connected with them in the way that's described in this verse. By the way, right now, if you describe an Americans, if there's some, if the Lord would describe America today, they would be describing America like that. He would say, let them be to you as like an American, because America in general has gone down the wrong path. And so this is not, like I say, a racial blanket statement made here. But it does say that if you came from a Gentile background, oh my... And there are other verses. Look at this. Here Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And this came to a church that is both Jews and Gentiles. He says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Here we have a general description of the culture of the Gentiles. Now how in the world do you have Gentiles and Jews coming together? They were converted My culture may be a mess. My own family, I'm speaking of where I was raised, could be a mess. I can still become a Christian. I can go down a different path morally and spiritually than my family. The Roman way of life dominated the Gentiles. It's described this way in Ephesians 4.17. This I say to you, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. It goes on to describe them again. This is the culture. There are individuals that were an exception to that. 
But nonetheless, this would be the culture of the Gentiles. You know, one of the things about coming together in church, I think about this a lot. As a shepherd, as an elder, it's really important we make connections. You know what's hard to make a connection with is when we have almost nothing in common. You know? You know, I like to run. I don't have many runners, but I love to talk to a runner. We have lots of common talk all day. I like college football. Somebody likes college football, you know? I may have things that I've done in my family, in my home growing up, but imagine being a Jew and being a Gentile. What do you got in common? You like to eat the same things? Well, no. <laughs> you know, what, what do you have in common? It would have been a tremendous challenge. The minefields, things that you may wander into, you know, if, if things go wrong. Could you imagine? Wait, wait. There's so many possibilities here. If you lived as a Gentile, life was cheap. The destruction of children upon birth was common. The entertainment oftentimes involved gladiators being killed or, or in some cases people being fed to the lions. That's the, that's the background that you came from. And so, very tough. Now, let's talk about Jew and Gentile. How do we work together? Any of you got prejudices? We all do. I tell you what, growing up in the 60s in Birmingham, I, I had prejudices ingrained in me. Later as I became mature, and certainly after I became a Christian, that made me ashamed. And I was very thankful to cross those lines and work with my brothers that at one time I would have looked down on. But I will tell you, still having, coming from that background, there still would be things for me to learn, and even now to learn. I'll never forget becoming close friends with my Navajo friend up in Lincoln, Nebraska. He was a runner. <laughs> I actually helped him break 40 minutes for for 10K. We worked together on that. and we just go out and run and things like that. But there would be a lot of things I'd learned that, you know, I should have done. I should have said it. It bothered him. We talked about it. And it's very interesting as you work with people from different cultures and different backgrounds. Right now we're in Auburn. We have a Hispanic group that's growing rapidly. We've had several from a Chinese background obey the Gospels. Some Africans, graduate students that have obeyed the Gospels. Some Koreans. And it's very fascinating being on a college campus and you get to know somebody. Right now, somebody from an African background. I love to visit and ask about home. It is fascinating, the differences. I know some of you have been able to go overseas and you talk about you talk about poverty. You talk about how much we have here. We don't have anything to complain about. But it's very interesting as we reach people. They've got very different backgrounds. We want to bring the gospel to the whole world. Food, dress, language, what you like and what you dislike. Let's go to Romans 14. In Romans 14, you really begin to see this. You know what we tend to do? We like to be people like us. That like the same things, have the same entertainment. It's hard to get together with somebody else that's totally different. Now, one thing we better have in common is the gospel, and maybe we get together on Bible studies. But think about this. Romans 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he was weak, eats only vegetables. 
Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. You know, in this case, whether or not you eat meat or not, doesn't matter. But guess what? The sermon does. And you know what we tend to do when somebody's different? Ooh, they're strange. You know what we tend to do with somebody different? Maybe we don't even want to be around him, and maybe we make fun of him in the background. Well, that's stupid. They all know better than that. Not if you're a Christian. Not if you're thinking. There are people who have likes and dislikes, political likes and dislikes, social likes and dislikes, and we're not talking about that which is sinful. But notice the struggle of attitude. In verse 13 it says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus there's nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, it is unclean. You know, if my brother is struggling... If he gets on my nerves, personality-wise and other things, let me tell you what you and I have to drill into our heads. Remember this verse, verse 15 of Romans 14. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. And I'll tell you, as a preacher, I've got to be careful. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel and not teach truth, but at the same time, I want my words to be seasoned with salt. I want my words to communicate. I want to have the best wisdom I can, and I mess up a lot. Now, I'll tell you what, i got a wife that sometimes has to pull me aside and get two by four out and tell me, you know, you didn't need to say it that way, and I appreciate that. We want to teach truth. We also want to love our brethren. And I'll tell you what, brethren, we, we, we could do a better job of controlling our tongues. You know what happens when we have a lot of difference and we're not associating? Let me tell you what you're going to get. Likely you're going to get fear and suspicion. And you can even have disregard. You can have the point, I don't care what they think. You can get to the point where you think you can read somebody else's mind. Have you ever done that? <laughs> And you know what, brethren, we we need to be very, very careful that we don't let our minds go down to the point where we fear and disregard our brethren. Now, let me tell you one of the challenges we have in all. We got educated and uneducated. Let me tell you one of the big works we have as elders is getting people work together, and, and we've had some, some even recently. We hear somebody really educated, hear somebody not as educated, and and I think there was some condescension. There was some arrogance. By the way, everything got repented of and corrected. And I appreciate that. But we can constantly be challenged here to whether or not we are getting to the point where we're looking down our nose at our brother or whether or not we're listening and trying to help. Now let's go back to Jew and Gentile. Do you remember the conversion of Cornelius in Acts 10? In Acts 10, basically, we don't know all the details. Acts 11 gives it. Do you know that Peter brought seven Jewish witnesses to come with him when he went to Cornelius. Do you know why? Now think about this. At this point, they were not baptizing Gentiles. The Lord said, take the gospel of the whole world. You know what? They were slow to learn. The apostles were slow to learn in this case. 
And so the Lord helps Peter. You know, you need to go. You need to go teach. And guess what? When Cornelius was baptized and he was brought back to Jerusalem, everybody goes, wonderful, right? No, that's not what they did. These are Christians. It's not that they're not Christians. They are Christians and they needed more teaching. Acts 11 verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Now notice, Peter comes back. Hey, they became Christians. And notice the reception. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, by the way, that's the Jews. Those of the circumcision continued with him saying, You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. You know, wow. You know what? These men were sincere. And guess what happened? They were taught. And you finish Acts 11 after it was shown the Lord was behind it and Peter stood up. Guess what brethren said? Gospel goes to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. They were teachable. And I will tell you something. You get involved in evangelism, it will humble you. It will teach you we need to pray and we need the God's help. And I'm going to tell you, we've got to be patient with one another. It's so easy to give up. Wait, I didn't even include Acts 6. <laughs> After the, you know, Acts 6, Grecian widows were neglected. You know, the, the potential. Now think about this one. Because I think about this a lot. Because we, we, we've reached some people from very tough backgrounds. Drug abuse, broken families. Again, nothing wrong with tattoos, but you know, I don't have tattoos. My dad had tattoos. I think about that now in World War II. But, but generally, you know, people come in tattoos and what is it? That's a choice. I'm, I, I, you know, that's something that, that I wouldn't do, but somebody else may do. Preach the truth. <laughs> and, and, you know, how do you, Amen. how do you work with folks? Do you watch, watch you think about a person who's maybe they, they really had a father. There's been broken homes. The potential of getting crossways, the challenges of that are great. Let's say if the Gentiles, what did the Gentiles in general see when they saw Jews? Let me tell you about Jews. Well, if you give me some general things about the Gentiles, let's talk about Jews. You know what the Word of God says that the Gentiles thought of the Jews? I'm talking about in general, and by the way, they would be right. It says, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And it goes on to describe that they love to teach, but they didn't keep it. They looked down their nose at the Gentiles, and the Gentiles knew it. But that's the Jewish culture in general, the Gentile culture in general. You think you had some of that in the church? You did. But that had to be challenged. Those who love the Lord cannot look down on their brethren in disregard. You've got greater knowledge than another. You've learned more about moral issues than another. And we do have that in the church. We have various differences in background. Remember 1 Corinthians 8. Let's teach. But watch your attitude. 1 Corinthians 8, 1. Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. 
And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Let's watch out for pride. There's a way to teach. There's a way to be patient. We don't disregard moral issues. And another thing about the Jew. Notice this. Here, the Gentiles, you know how the Gentiles came in? They came in because Jews were hard-headed and proud. And Romans 11 basically says the reason why you're in the church is the Gentiles, the Jews were cast off because they were stubborn. But now watch your attitude, Gentile. Now notice Romans 11. And if some of the branches are broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in amongst them, and with them become a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, now notice this, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root support you. I, I remember my brother and I were growing up. I don't know if you had siblings or what it was like. I love to see my brother get spanked. <laughs> and he loves to get beat, see me get spanked. There'd be time my brother would get a spank and I'd be hiding where the parents couldn't see it. I'd give him a Chester cat grid, you know. And he'd do the same thing to me. And here's a case here where I'm sure, I'm sure the Gentiles were going about the hypocrisy of the Jews. Go preach it! Go preach it! And here Paul says, now you don't get proud either. Men rebel. Men become arrogant. If we're in Christ... We guard our hearts. We're going to be learning, growing, and working with each other. Now imagine this. Can you imagine this? Let's say we're in the church at Galatia. Jew and Gentile working together. Who converted the first Gentile? Peter. And here Peter's working with you. He's eating with you, you know. Jew and Gentile together. Everything's going great. <coughs> Look at this. Galatians 2.11 Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I was stood into his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. An apostle... I guess they split, didn't they? They gave up on each other, right? You had a Gentile church in Galatia and a Jewish church in Galatia, right? No, guess what happened? Paul stood up. And he confronted them. In verse 13 he says, he says, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Brethren, it is so easy to stir up fear. It is so easy to get emotional and get carried away. It is easy to create trouble in a church. Churches are fragile. And we've got to work extra hard, extra hard, to reaffirm our love for one another, to look at the foundation from which we stand. And I will tell you, you see gray hairs here and hair missing. You know, I used to tell people from raising children and that had a lot to do with it. But I'm telling you, being a shepherd in church, if you do the job you should as you try to solve problems and get people together, it is extremely humbling. But it can be done. And we can work out our problems. Fear is not rational. It's easy, easily shared. I'm thankful for men like Paul that took action out of love. He confronted Peter and things were made right. And you read about that later in Galatians 2.
And he just basically taught them what Peter already knew. Peter already knew this. Um, let's bring some things to a close, and then about, in about five minutes, then we'll we'll end this lesson, and we'll have some questions. I believe we've got that design. Let's draw some conclusions, brethren. We are all works in progress. If I've disappointed you, I don't want to do that. And I may need teaching. I'm an elder, but I need to teach. I need to grow. And I need to recognize in my own life, there are things I may need to learn. There are things that you need to learn. Can we be people committed to the Lord and patiently learn? And let me tell you, you can't do it all at once. As a young man, I used to think every problem can be solved. Like, boom, no, I'm going to tell you. Sometimes it's a gradual process. Oftentimes it is. As young people... Young people have this idealistic view of how a local church is. Young people say, you know, the first century church didn't have any problems. And everybody loved one another. And they just went together. You know, Well, they did love one another. But have you read the book of 1 Corinthians? Have you read the book of Galatians? Have you read the Bible? <laughs> We've got people at different levels and different knowledge and different backgrounds. It takes enormous humility and wisdom to work together. And that's why it's important as you're able to develop shepherds. We need help. It's so easy to give up. It's so easy to divide into various cultural, economic groups. The local church is not often neat and easy. It's not. Uh, you know, Jewish Christians could have had complaints. Think about this again. Why in the world? After you understand that Gentiles become Christians and you understand the new covenant, how in the world, within a short time of after Gentiles came into the church, you had a problem in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem where the the apostles were regularly teaching. Hex 15.1 And certain men came down from Judea and talked to brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Would you might have said, well, man, they must not have very good leadership in Jerusalem. How in the world could Jerusalem have such an issue? Guess what? You ready? It's another generation. You start looking at the time period. One generation may fight a battle and get it. And oftentimes, actually, you can talk about this sociologically. Normally, it's called the third generation effect. You get a third generation. You may have a group of people that have no clue what the first generation understood and stand on. Each generation has to make faith their own. How are they being built? How are our families working? I have talk a lot about that. I'll probably talk more about it as we get into some doctrinal questions uh, this week. But you know what they did when a generation didn't get it right? You know what they did? They brought people together. They looked at the evidences. They studied it. And they were able to draw conclusions. Acts 15.24, he didn't give up on them because they took this view. He says, since we have heard that someone out from us have troubled your soul, troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved brother Paul. And they gave a letter and they solved that question. Every generation has to fight 
the battle of faith. And I'm telling you what, it's not oftentimes just one meeting does it, okay? We've got to understand the way churches work. We we go through a lot of questions. I'll tell you, I learned this when I first started preaching. I preached a lesson. I used to think, man, I got that problem solved. <laughs> I, I'm now no better than that. I preach it, and then the next week somebody asks a question, I'm thinking, did they hear anything that I said? Of course, now as parents, we do that too, don't we? <laughs> you know, like, you know, well, you've been taught this, but you know, that's what we deal with. We deal with people. Sometimes we think we got something solved, but we don't. We got to go back and repeat it, deal with it. There is no issue that stays solved. I'll never forget Irvin Lee years ago. I don't know how many of you knew Irvin Lee, an older preacher. Somebody used to ask him, what position does your brethren take on this question? I love his answer. You know his answer was? My brethren take both sides of every question you probably want to ask. <laughs> I go do what I do because of my brethren. <laughs> you know, What we need to do is look at the Word of God. It's not a matter of some precedent set because of what somebody did in the past. No, every one of us has got to get to the Word of God and understand that there's no shortcuts. We don't have any catechism or some unwritten creed about churches of Christ about what you want to believe. Every generation has to be presented the truth. I'm going to uh, look at one verse and then we'll close here. Let me give you... Uh, let me give you... Uh, Again, because time-wise, I wanted to stop it at, at, at this time. But let's look at the warning of Galatians 5. You know, Galatians 5, I'm a slow learner. Do you look at the whole chapter? And I'm a slow learner. Do you know what the big battle is amongst local churches? The fruit of the Spirit versus the works of the flesh. If we can learn how to watch our attitude and we can learn how to, how to build our character... There's not a problem we cannot solve. In Galatians 5.15, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I said one verse. I'm going to give you one more. Galatians, Ephesians 4. If the Jews and Gentiles could do it, we can do it. You're not going to find a bigger challenge than they had. And here's what you and I can do together. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Thank you for being such patient listeners. I hope this makes a good beginning to our meeting. Uh, it may be sometimes people accuse me of preaching a Jericho lesson. You know what a Jericho lesson is? You make the same point seven times. You know, you march around the same point seven times and then you shout, you know. But sometimes maybe we need Jericho lessons. Sometimes maybe with our hard heads, we may need to hear it repeated over and over again. We'll let this conclude the preaching part of the lesson. And I understand that we will do a question and answer. Should I remain up here for that? And... Uh, do we, are we going to do oral questions or written questions? Do we have a process that... Okay.
All right, ready to take any questions that you all may have. You can deal with any of those topics. You don't have to leave with that one. But that, I mean, that's a... <clears throat> yes, are you going to get into later this week maybe how what you're saying ties in with, I guess, uh, fellowship issues okay. and how to discern those things? That, that's always been something... When you speak of fellowship that. issues, you're talking about issues that may separate us. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Let me tell you a little bit about my background. I was not raised in the church. And actually, I was raised within the Southern Baptist Church. And I wasn't very strong. But it wasn't that when in the senior year of high school, I started studying the Bible. And as I started studying the Bible, I became wanted to follow the Lord. And I knew the denominational background I had. And so I went to that denomination and I became part of it. About a year and a half later, I heard the gospel. I was stunned and challenged by it, studied it, and took a stand to be nothing but a Christian. Uh, that caused me to take a path very different from my family. You know what? I hadn't been a member of the university church in Tuscaloosa very long, and I found out there were differences amongst brothers. I went home to Huffman where Frank Smith was preaching. And they were kind of suggesting, you know, you need to look at what they're doing with the treasury. And I'm kind of thinking, hmm. Talked to a friend. I said, is there a difference in the churches? And they said, yes, brethren, we're divided. And, and they started telling me about the problems they had. I remember the first thing was they said, well, they're not supporting our orphan homes or organization. And I go, so what? You know, why is that a big deal? And she didn't know. And I started asking questions. And the man who baptized me couldn't even give me answers. He was confused. And he finally turned to me and says, Larry, this may be something you can teach me on. You know what I decided to do? I'm going to get everybody together. I'm going to get everybody together and study. And we can solve this. Now here I am, a young man, probably 20 years old. I think my heart was right. And I think my attitude was right. I'm still doing the same thing today, by the way. But we're talking about fellowship questions. Um, you know, we've got to get into the Word. What I want to do today, where do fellowship questions oftentimes occur? Let's just talk about that generally. Let's say plan of salvation, maybe how the church functions, you know, uh, moral questions, marriage, divorce, marriage, the other things. You know, we talk about fellowship questions. The thing that I try to do is first off, know the will of the Lord. And try to do whatever the will of the Lord is. I cannot put, I, I don't try to make a list of essential and non-essential issues. I try to first look at, let's just take whatever subject it is. Let's take everything the Bible says on that subject. Let's study it. And let's stand on what we know. I'm going to talk in the process of this study. Matter of fact, I, could, I had a whole lesson on fellowship I'm kind of leaving this series kind of, how can I say, a bit open-ended to see which direction we go. I brought a lot of outlines. I did not print my lesson on fellowship, but fellowship normally comes, that question, after you study. Some people want to make, you want to 
have a separation of fellowship before we study. Now, one thing I do want to do, we talk about fellowship, I do not want to participate that which is sinful. Okay? Bible tells me that, that I, I cannot be protector. And so I definitely don't want to be brought into sin. But many issues when it, when it comes to fellowship is that, that we first have to find out if we've got any common ground, work on that common ground and address an issue first. Notice in, in Jerusalem, they just didn't separate immediately when somebody was adding to the gospel. Saying so you've got to be circumcised, keep the law of Moses. You know what? They didn't separate fellowship immediately, did they? They studied on the question. And even you see in the book of Revelation where the, the Jezebel, who was teaching immorality, they were to rebuke her and work with him. The Lord says they were going to give that person time or space. I have found this to be true. If we are committed to serving the Lord, we will open our hearts and we will open our Bibles and we'll take the time necessary to work together. But see, what I found, that going back to my question over the division in brethren, I found a whole group of brethren didn't want to have anything to do with me. They didn't want to talk about it. They want to run from it. Now, you're not going to solve any questions that way. I have found that people who love God will open their Bible and they have the fruit of the Spirit. I believe there won't be a question we cannot solve. Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but I found that to be true. And that's been my heart and by my life. I don't know how well I've answered. You know, the question of fellowship is very complex. Right. And so this is sort of the, where I would start. And even if I don't preach on this, I can give you my whole outline on that. Uh, fellowship, though, it is a very important. And if you teach on something and you don't practice fellowship, your teaching becomes irrelevant. Fellowship is very important. Eventually, as you understand something to be true, you've got to stand up. And so, again, I'm giving you some generalities here. As you look at how it works in specifics, you know, we could talk about that and maybe even privately as well as publicly. Good question. Fellowship one is, like I say, a complex and challenging one. Other questions, comments? Some of these comments or some of the class this week would be about some of those issues going back. I saw this outline like this book up here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what I'm going to be dealing with, my, my goal, and again, y'all can tell me I'm very flexible. I thought I would give you the series that I did on a local church. So what, what, about a year ago, I was actually going to Virginia to help a church that was had questions. You know what? They had existed for one year and never had a contribution. And they had some conceptual things. They didn't think it was necessary. And they said it was necessary only if you had a need. And technically, I would say, you're right. You shouldn't have a contribution unless you had a need. But the point I would make is always a need. <laughs> there's always a need to support the gospel and so on. And, but we, we, there were some other concepts that brethren were struggling with over how we handle examples and, and really even defining what a local church is. And you know what? We studied it. What studied went great. They, that, I'm trying to give you a basis for which you then would reason and deal with your questions. But one of the things that we, we're going to deal with authority first. Number one, we're going to talk about authority. And, and we're going to talk about the position of, of giving, making the commitment to everything that you teach or practice that you and I give book, chapter, and verse for it. That if we cannot give book, chapter, and verse for a practice or a teaching, we give it up. I want to show you from Scripture why that's going to be true. That'll be tomorrow night. And then from there, 
you know, there, there, there's a couple of, we want to define what a local church is. We're going to look at uh, verses dealing with the church and talk about the different responsibilities uh, of individual Christians and, and local churches. We're all going to go scripture. We're going to look at that and show you that the scriptures do expect, and I think every brethren I've ever known, every brother I've ever known recognize there is a difference in the responsibilities of local churches from the treasury, what is done and what individual Christians do. And then we'll have another lesson on the work of the church. And that's where I understand there's been some good discussion here of, you know, what can you do from the treasury? Uh, what do you do in benevolence? What do you do when you have an assembly? Uh, what kind of place do you have? What, 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 what do you do? You know, can, what about food? What about drink? What about questions like that? They're great questions, good questions. And we're going to talk about that uh, and hopefully lead in discussion with that. And then if we have time, fellowship. I found in these areas... There's a, that's, this is a short period of time to cover that as well as I would like. But I want to lay some foundations, at least for us to have further discussion. Many of these questions I've been on both sides of. I have struggled over the years. I've been one that probably took one side and came to the other in my study. Not that the Bible, Word of God wasn't clear, but I was doing this when I hadn't been a Christian a year. <laughs> I didn't have any background. And so a lot of the struggles I had, but it's made me appreciate I really want to understand the position where somebody else is coming from. And above all, I want to look at the Scripture. Many of our problems come when we don't have common ground. I want to start with common ground. And if we'll come from common ground and work to the area of disagreement, you will find that 90% of our misunderstandings go away. I used to start with arguing for the point of difference. So watch this week as we approach this. This is how I do my evangelism. This is how I do most of my studies. And when we have disagreements, we can start from the point of agreement to the point of disagreement. It's a powerful way to work. And you know what? Where I'm at, some of these questions, some of my brethren disagree with me in the congregation where I'm an elder and preacher. And there is room for disagreement. While we are working together where we don't force a practice upon another. There's some, there's some ways as we talk about these questions. There's various levels of questions we'll go through. And again, I'm going to try to lay a foundation. And what you got to do is, those who have differences, let's talk with one another. Let's take time to patiently listen, answer, and above all, what we can do, we can take a path where all of us can work together. It's kind of like the eating of meat in Romans 14. You know what? If I think I have the right to eat meat and you don't, I'm not going to take you to my house and have a steak then. Matter of fact, if I was going to be around you a lot, I wouldn't eat meat. There's a way, brethren, as we work with our disagreements, that we can work together. And I will tell you, so it's humbling. We've got to be teachable. And above all, we've got to have enough respect for one another where we can talk to one another. So you can Honestly. talk about liberties and attitudes about those things. Yes. Yeah. Y'all have any particular request? Of, I mean, this is what I've laid out. And we can go a different direction. We can talk here or, or later privately, you know. I know sometimes I'm long-winded, maybe end the night too, but uh, you know, trying to even talk about these things, uh, it's going to take some time. And uh, I hope we can at least cover enough to like to give you that foundation for discussion. Seems like the gist of what you were saying, the gist of what you're saying and happening in the night is that 
I guess, uh, patience it takes with one another to work through these kinds of things. And I would even say a re- reaffirmation of love, too. Right. Particularly when you're disagreeing. Oh, I, you know, I tell you, my problem, my, my problem, sometimes my tongue is a little too sharp. And sometimes I'll communicate something to somebody I shouldn't. You know, as a preacher, you want to be bold. You want to make it clear. But at the same time, you want to say it the right way. And I'll tell you what, even in marriage, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there are many times there where you think you've said it well, you haven't. You, there's a lot that working with people, man. It, it, we, we need to play for wisdom, as Paul said in, in like Colossians 4 3, that our words be seasoned with salt. Yeah. You spoke tonight concerning Peter withdrawing himself from the Gentiles. Yes. We don't get anything in that passage of how the Gentiles reacted to this withdrawal. Yeah. Can you think of any biblical examples where people that might have been in that similar situation were instructed to react? Well, what, you know, I, I think back at Acts 6 where there's a little murmuring. <laughs> there was when you don't deal with anything, when you don't deal with a question, when we have elephants in the room that we don't address, what happens? You start getting fear, you start getting anger, you start getting tension, and then there's a murmuring. And you murmur not to those you disagree with, but you you end up well what happened in the case of the Galatians, good old Paul. No elephant in the room with him. <laughs> We're going to go and look at that elephant and talk about that elephant. And so that's, I think that that's a major element. So again, how did they handle it? I just know that it went fine. But guess what? Would Peter have lost a little reputation? Sure. My brother, if you're with me in a local church, I will make mistakes. It's very humbling being in the position of an elder in particular. I pray that people will come talk to me. I pray that I'll always have the attitude that, that when I have had the wrong attitude, that I beg, not only that I'm sorry, but I want to reaffirm my love to you. My brother, particularly when we have differences, can we do more together? Can we let one another know we love each other? Can we with wisdom? By the way, I, I'm going to throw another thing in. Be careful about your social media. Whenever I find a member where I'm at and they want to put our problems on social media, I am the fireman. I will immediately go to that brother and say, please take this down and let's talk about it. As you're working in a local church, keep it in the home. Keep it in the family. Now I'm saying if somebody's teaching blatant error and they're not going to repent, when you go public, you're really, you know, that's a very powerful too. When you go to the to social media, that is much bigger than what we're doing here in this assembly. You know, we have a pretty large group at Auburn. Sometimes we'll have over 300. When I tell our students, you put something on Facebook, you've got an audience far bigger than that. And they're not local. And the potential for misunderstanding and anger is great. Be careful with your words and with your fingers. I recommend to be minimalistic on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, your, your blog. That's my advice to you. But as an elder, we can't work out problems when we start bringing in people outside of congregation. There's a place you can do that. There is a place where finally you say, okay, this is not going to work, and here, here, this is, you know, I'm not saying you can't. But first, work with them. 
you're going to create a lot more, how can I say it, tension and anxiety and fear. And get people in that's really not their business. Sometimes we're talking about local works and, and local problems. And so uh, I, I'll never forget one time. Uh, I did a post on Facebook, and it created a firestorm. And I had people calling me in tears. And you know what I did? When I found out I'd done that, I went and removed it, and I made an apology. Just a few months ago, I shared that apology post, you know. It said, this is a lesson learned, you know. We've got to be careful with our words and who we talk to and what we do. We all need wisdom. We're all going to make mistakes. I've made plenty of them, and I'm going to make more. But I'm scared. I'm sick and a wise frightened of my public social media and I pray that I have wisdom and I still have more to learn on that. I think we all do. Just be careful with that. Be careful with your tongue and words and who you speak to. That's probably not the question you had, but that's one that, like I say, uh, I try to talk to our students all the time. You know. I'll tell you one thing as an elder though, I kind of know what's going on sometimes in social media too. It kind of helps me on sermons. Don't tell people back up with that. No, just kidding. No, no there, there, there are ways you, you know, you think you've talked and you kind of go on things and go, okay, okay, we're humbled again. You know, we got to keep teaching. There's still things we got to work out. All right, we done. I told people we'd probably end up going an hour and a half. Y'all got to hear my old uh, long-windedness. So, uh, Look forward to tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we're going to talk about the apostles and local churches. We're going to talk about the nature of the New Testament. There's a major, major battle going on right now amongst churches who call themselves churches of Christ. What is the New Testament? And do we need authority? And by the way, I think the battle will be lost if you just look at churches that choose that name. When I use the name Church of Christ, I'm talking about people whose loyalty to Christ. I'm not a part of any movement or ism. I simply want to be Lord's. And uh, that's my goal. You may say, well, Larry, you're not doing that. I may not be. We'll talk about it. But uh, we want to talk about authority. What do we have in common? If we don't have authority in common, I don't know how we can work any problem out. So that's what we talk about tomorrow. Thank you for your attention. Do we want to do an invitation? Okay. Um, We want to invite you to be crucified. Any takers? I hope we all have been crucified. I hope we all have have died and been born again. And the invitation, even though you are Christians, let's take the invitation as a place to say, Lord, help me. Help me change my heart. Help me change my attitudes. Help me to put you first. And help me in my attitudes. Help me to see every brother and sister in Christ as one that is infinitely important. And Lord, help me this day do what's right. Let's let this invitation be for us all. If you need to respond publicly, we'd love to baptize you into Christ or take whatever need you may have as you come as we stand and sing.